So, as the scripture says, consider your ways, because we are in the midst of a great falling away, as the Bible predicts, as one of the signs that would precede the coming of Christ. Come with me to the book of Titus, chapter 2. I want to read to you from verse 11 down to the end of the chapter, which is verse 15. Titus, chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Then the Apostle Paul encourages Titus, who was a very close associate of his in many missionary journeys and other things that he did for the Apostle Paul, by saying, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So with that, I've given this message a little bit of an unusual title. Relative to verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The title of this message is Visit to a Small Planet. Now, the idea of the Earth being a small planet is relative to the size of our universe, which, from what I gather from reading, is a debatable point. Some say it's going out into infinity, and others say, no, there are definite boundaries. And they explain, most of this is way above my pay grade, Either way, it's beyond real description of just how large the universe is. Galaxies, some say billions of galaxies. It's beyond imagination how big this is. So when we compare the planet to the size of the universe and the appearance of Christ coming a second time, it's a visit to a small planet of which God has invested quite a bit, not so much in the planet as much as in the people that he created. For we, it says, are created in his image. We were created in the likeness of God. When you look at verse 13, it tells us, or I should say it motivates us. It is our motivation for what is given to us in instruction. If you begin at the first verse of the chapter, we're given practical instructions on speaking sound doctrine. Men should be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, charity, patience, age women. Likewise, they be in behavior as becomes holiness not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, and so on. There's even an exhortation here to slaves to be obedient to their masters and not to steal or to take things from, not to pilfer, that the doctrine of God would not be blasphemed. So there's something very unusual here. As I brought to you some time ago, seeking the old paths. And I realize that this is actually much more of an endeavor than just simply saying, oh, let's just seek the old path. Let's just do it the way it was written. As I read the Bible, with that thought in mind, I'm finding that this book is becoming more and more narrow as instructions to all people. But anyway, all these instructions are predicated upon the fact that Christ, who said he would return, is going to return. And when he returns, he's coming to judge the living and the dead, not just professing Christians. Every single person who's ever lived from the beginning of time 
to whatever the end of time is, that means when Christ comes and restores the kingdom and establishes new heavens and a new earth, everything in between, every single person will be judged. Now, what I find encouraging, really, as I read and as I study and as I reason my way through things and meditate my way through things that I am reading, we are gaining more and more compelling evidence from those outside the Bible who do not acknowledge this as being inspired by God, that God actually did inspire it. That's why when I do research, I specifically look for people who are not, we'll say, religious, and they are not affiliating themselves with the book or even other religions. I look for secular sources that in an unintentional way give evidence that the Bible is inspired. I'm not sure that they're aware of it. In fact, I am sure that they're not aware of it. And so we go to Harvard University and we meet with a tenured professor of astrophysics by the name of Avi Loeb. He is Israeli-born astrophysicist and he is a long-tenured professor in this department, the longest-tenured professor in this department. He is a very well-respected expert on the area of the universe, astronomy, cosmology, and so on. So in other words, he's not just some man who's sitting around speculating. He's well-respected by many, many people in his field. I would say this, he is respected by some of the brightest minds on the planet. Not necessarily the brightest minds of theology, but the brightest minds in science. He's a heavy hitter. In 2017, from the preaching of this message, that's only four years ago, not that long. Over the islands of Hawaii, there was this object spotted that kind of mimics a cigar. The name in Hawaiian for it is Umuamua, which translated loosely to us in English means scout. And so they studied this, and he studied this, and they were watching this object. And he and some others came to a conclusion, keeping in mind who he is, Avi Loeb. You look him up came to the conclusion that this was not a comet. This was not something that originated in our solar system. And he came to the conclusion that this is, and he's on the record saying this, that this is extraterrestrial vehicle. Now, of course, he don't know exactly what it is. Nobody knows. Some scientists just dismiss it and say, no, it's some natural phenomenon. We just can't really explain it. And he's saying no, and he gives his reasons why. He has a book called Extraterrestrial. And I want to keep you in mind, this is not some man in the basement wearing a tinfoil hat. This is a well-respected, world-renowned astrophysicist. And there are more and more out there like this that are saying, there's life outside this planet. Intelligent life, more intelligent than us. And we ordinarily use the word alien, and he employs that word. Going back to Oumuamua, he concludes that this is intelligent life. Perhaps this was a space vehicle come down to visit us, and then he goes through all these details of why he comes to this conclusion. And I have to admire him, I really do, in many ways, because he argues for the fact that scientists like himself should be honest with people, and that scientists like himself need much more humility than they have. And I think that was very refreshing to read that. He also said that because, you know, some in the scientific community, which he said, they're usually not very humble people, which I said, well, this is better coming from a scientist than coming from me. They're not very humble people in, in many instances. And also, as they state to themselves, they say, hey, you know, the proletariat out there, they're not going to understand this, so we just keep this to ourselves. And he says, no, they should know. And he has, again, he reasons his way through why we should know. 
For that, I have great respect for this man. But as I was researching this, within the last week or so, I came across some other unusual things from respected astrophysicists, cosmologists, astronomers. There's more and more of them saying, there's life out there, more intelligent than us, and they're watching us. And again, I want to remind you that these are not tinfoil families sitting down hoping that no one can read their thoughts and all of this. And I have to just put in a parenthetical statement here. This actually happened to me about a year ago. Someone on social media, whom I've known all my life, made a reference to me and some others as being tinfoil people. This is a friend. Well, he was a friend. You see, they lean heavily into their science until their science no longer pleases them. And then they dismiss it, or they say, well, you know. But here's my argument. If some of the brightest minds on the planet can recognize two things, that we as the human race are on a path to destruction, and they reason their way out through possible scenarios, oddly enough, a couple of which match what this book says. Hawking was one of them, and he was an atheist. That, by the way, it just enamors me more than anything else. You can spend your whole lifetime looking at this incredible creation and come to the conclusion that there's no creator. However, I think it was Hawking as well, but definitely Loeb and a few others that are now saying, but there could be other intelligent beings that have created us. I was watching one documentary, a little short documentary on the universe, the beginning of the universe. Of course, we always work our way back to the Big Bang. And scientists typically in times past have said, no, what happened before that? We don't know. Is there a creator? Absolutely not. I submit to you that this is not reasonable. I read also how Albert Einstein didn't like the idea of a beginning, so he was searching for something else. Yet in Genesis 1, 1 it says, in the beginning. And then in John 1, 1 it says, in the beginning. How they bypass this, I guess they have the regions, which I think mainly involves prejudice towards this book. For the many people who have violated it, Jews and Christians alike. I believe it's a jaded view to not look at the scriptures, but we'll leave that go. And so beyond Loeb, there's this other astrophysicist, cosmologist, whatever they were, astronomer, that says, um, now we have a theory, a theory. If I'm watching for 20-something minutes on this documentary, and we have a theory of what may be behind the Big Bang, and that is that we were actually created in a laboratory by white-coated individuals who are like a class A intelligence, where we're like class C, maybe class D, like for dumb, which I wouldn't even argue with that point, because of how we treat the earth, how we treat each other, how we treat the planet, I think that that's a valid point. But that we were created in a laboratory. And so I really didn't have so much of an issue with that, as much as I said, well, you finally brought us back to creation. Yeah. Somebody created us. Now, I don't know if in their own minds, in private, Loeb is arguing for humility, which is good. I don't know that the people who made this statement, or Loeb, who I believe also considers this, that we were created in a laboratory by aliens. So we're back to the 70s and chariots of the gods and all this stuff, which has been with us for some time. I'm just simply saying to you, some of the most respected, prestigious minds in the world are now considering creation, not this one, creation, creators, plural, which would lead us to what? Gods. And for us in the Bible, would lead us to demons. Dr. Hugh Ross is a Christian. He's an astrophysicist in Canada. And he wrote a book that I read a year or two back, Little Green Men and um, Space Stuff. Well, I forget what the title of it. But goes through pretty much like Loeb does in his book, Extraterrestrial, in explaining 
Oumuamua and other things that he brings to us. And the Uros came from a biblical point of view. Right? He's a professing Christian and goes through all of the evidence for UFOs on all these different things. And he and another author I read, the secular author, come to basically the same conclusion that about 90% of these sightings and phenomena that we can't explain are in some way or form, some fashion or form, able to be explained, but about 10% are real phenomena. And then you, Ross, concludes what this Bible says, that they're demonic powers, and he gives his reasons. One of them is that they never announce about Jesus Christ. They never talk about him at all, even though I'm going to add one more thing. There are now also scientists out there to say, well, if aliens created us, aliens also created Jesus. Now, an extension of their logic. When we look at this here, when we look at Jesus, and all of you here, all of us acknowledge that Jesus was a real historical person, that he really lived, that he was a real person. For those of us who do accept him as the Lord and Savior of our lives, God come in the flesh, then again, by extension, we have to acknowledge that Jesus in his ministry constantly dealt with demonic powers. It's one of the most imposing features of his life in Matthew and Mark and Luke especially is his healing of the sick, his curing of incurable diseases, paralytics, demon-possessed people. And the demons speak and they acknowledge him. We know who you are. Have you come to torment us before the time? As a matter of fact, when we look at Jesus and we believe that he is a real historical person, you say, he is my Lord and he is my Savior, then by extension, we have to believe everything that he taught us. That would include his commandments, obey them. But just on the subject of demons, because it's so primitive an idea in the minds of these erudite professors, male and female, around the world, so primitive that they'll come up, this is my own commentary, my own idea now, that they come up with something else, just what's an alien? What kind of an alien? What are these people like? Now, Hawking said, and Loeb is saying, suggesting too, that what well, we don't know. If they come and visit us, will they be friendly? And this is an amusing way to me. Brings me back to when I grew up in the 50s, the day the Earth stood still. Well, we had cards growing up in grade school, Attack from Mars which were great cards, by the way, they really were. It brings us back to the 50s of science fiction. And Loeb, by the way, he goes on to another point. He says, I like science, obviously, and I like fiction, but I don't read ever science fiction. I I admire this man, I do. He's honest, which is hard to find not only in science these days, it's hard to find in the church. Just brutal honesty. So we look at Jesus and we can conclude that if these aliens are real and there is evidence that they are, a small amount of what we see and hear reports are real, then we must conclude, as you Ross did, that these are demonic powers manifesting themselves in various ways to bring us to this conclusion, the end of the age, the end of the age as we know it. So... Submitting that to you as evidence that there are scientists out there saying, well, you know what, we've come up with a thought that this creation may have actually had creators, plural. And I said, pretty good. Took you long enough to realize that you can't have this complex creation. Just studying the human body is amazing. It still amazes me after all these years since I first studied it. It's just amazing. And the complexity of the universe and so on, and of earth and things in the earth, And then to be able to say, but there's no God, it's just not reasonable. So you don't know who the creator is, that's reasonable. But to conclude there is no creator is unreasonable. So now science is coming along slowly and surely to saying, well, yeah, 
this creation more than likely had creators and that they're going to visit us. Oh, I forgot about Elon Musk. There's a summit that's held every year called the World Government Summit. He was being interviewed by one of the men, I don't know what his position or title was, from Dubai, and they have these countries that come together for a world government. Their goals are to restore the earth, to have nobody's hungry, nobody's without work, nobody's without shelter. No, they're good goals. They're good goals. However, this is what we find in, let me say, politics. You vote for me and there will be a pot, or rather a chicken in every pot. There may even be pot as well. <laughs> There'll be a chicken in every pot. No one's going without you vote for me. Well, of course, that never pans out all that well. And why is that? It's human nature, the sinfulness of the human heart. If I could figure out a way, not that I would do it, but I mean, some people could figure out a way to say, look, you know, it's a good idea if we all take our money and pool it together. So when you get your check, just mail it to me. I'll distribute to each of you equally. And then it may enter my heart to say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I think they could live on a lot less and I can make a lot more. And before you know it, I'm a multimillionaire, maybe even a billionaire, and you're on a breadline somewhere, and that's called socialism. Marxism. Communism. Why? Because of the evil of man's heart. To distribute everything to everybody is a good idea. It won't work because of the sinful nature that we have. We'll prevent that, and we'll have an antichrist. That's a different subject. So some of the most intelligent minds on the planet are coming to the conclusion that, number one, creation had creators. Number two, they're likely to visit us soon. Oh, and Musk, I forgot about Musk again. He's being interviewed in Dubai some two years ago. So do you think there's aliens among us? And he's basically like, yeah, could be. They're brilliant minds. Well, when we read a book, actually, it's the next book forward. We talk about angels. Some have entertained angels unaware. Amen. I'm saying to you, science, along with archaeology, has always been a friend of the Bible, is submitting to us for the minds that are actually active and that are not wasting time. You've got 168 hours in a week. What are you doing with it? That's up to you to decide. I know what I'm going to be doing with my 168 hours. My head has been in the game, but I'm going to put it further and further as much as I can, stretch myself right to the limit in this hour of history because of the importance of what is laid out before us, how important this hour is. Yeah. If your mind is active and you're not wasting time, but rather investing it in God and his word, there is evidence being handed right to us if this was a court of law. And if I was prosecuting the case, I would say, Your Honor, they're presenting to us the very argument here, that there is a creator, singular, and his name is Jehovah, or God, as we say it generically. A man has always shied away from God from the beginning of time. Adam, where are you? And Adam said, as I say, we people are saying today, I'm hiding. I don't want what you offer. I don't want to see you in your holiness. Yeah. Down at the base of Sinai, as Moses came down, his face is shining. The people say to him, you speak to us, but don't let God speak to us. This has been our nature. And what the tragedy of all this is this. That in exchange for the fear of the Lord, which I went through with you last week, everything associated with the fear of the Lord is good and positive and so forth. We exchange one fear for all types of anxieties and all types of depressions. Let me say something to you. As you read your newspaper, you should know this. It's almost a universal agreement in books that I've read from these great minds. I read, you know, read people who have some kind of reputation, whatever their field may be. And they have a universal agreement though they haven't talked to each other. But I've read them, so I collate the information for them. 
And they come up with this one salient point. The media is misleading us. What a revelation that was, huh? Well, I'm just saying there's general agreement, even from prestigious minds, other than those who are cooperating with the media so they can make money. There's a general agreement there. So if you invest your time, you will see from archaeology to astronomy and cosmology, astrophysics, and many other ways too, medical science, the little brains in the body discovered over the last few decades, the University of Montreal and other places, you will see the Bible come alive as God uses unintended witnesses in what we will call an unintentional coincidence. It's no coincidence to God. That they're actually giving testimony to the Bible, which I assume they will continue to deny. Why? Because there's something in man, when he's not right with God, that does not want God, that would prefer an alien. Because they just might, in the end, be friendly. If you ever, any of you grew up watching The Twilight Zone? Rod Serling? He had one on there where an alien visits and talks this man into going back in the ship with him. And the alien shows him this book with all these promises. And the title of the book is How to Serve Man. And so he says, hey, I'm going to a paradise where these aliens are going to take care of me. I'll be the king and the ruler and all that stuff. He gets in the ship. At the end of the show, his friends have discovered this and they're shouting to him, but it's too late. It's a cookbook, How to Serve Man. See, these things are all laid out for us. If we were lawyers and this was law school, these things are all laid out for us to make a very good case, beyond reasonable doubt, and with a preponderance of evidence that God actually wrote this book, and the evidence is there. But I want to exhort you again today, as my heart just tells me to do so, stop wasting time. We shall all appear. It's not like I'm going to appear and you won't, nor is it like you will and I won't. We will all give a report to God, to Jesus in particular, second person of the Trinity, and he will say, what did you do with your life? What are you going to say? I was busy, Lord. I was taught as a young kid, and this was the image I got as a young, young kid. I was taught that we'll give a report to God at the end of our life. And I had this picture of a movie. So I asked the teacher, which happened to be a non-sister of charity, is it going to be like kind of a movie is played back of our life? And she said, yeah, yeah. And so I had this lodged in my mind all these long years that my life is being videotaped. And I'm not going to be able to say, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. I didn't say that. So I would, yeah, I would strongly suggest that you keep that in mind. Because like it or not, you're going to give a report to God for your life. And if you know the scriptures, as I know so many of you here do, I would give you a very strong exhortation from the things that are in verse 15. As a pastor, stop wasting time. Because you're going to give a report for your life. Even you say, I'm not giving no report to nobody. Okay. Do you see those winds that came last night? That's not even on the spectrum of God's power. I kept thinking to myself, will those, some of those tiles blow off the roof? Is everything downstairs brought in the garage? And that's just a couple of miles per hour. It wasn't a hurricane or tornado. We just see over 50 people killed in the Midwest through tornadoes. And we haven't even begun to entertain the power of God. It's foolishness to think that any human being can stand before God and say, I'm not giving an answer to you. But it's even more foolish for people with Bibles in their hands to make excuses that maybe I accept because what am I going to do, investigate you? Am I going to go around following you and say, we need higher investigators to follow you around and see if what you're telling me is the truth? I mean, what you do, you do. But it is highly recommended that you stop wasting time and look at verse 13 and keep looking for the blessed hope. What kind of hope is it? Blessed, blessed hope. 
And I had a friend of mine who made this disparaging remark to me oh, a year or so back. Basically, I was a tinfoil hat. I didn't answer him because my intellect, number one, is not <laughs> inferior to his, that's for sure. That I can say for sure. And he had a master's degree and was a teacher, tenured teacher. Retired, but tenured. I'm not ashamed and I'm not afraid of someone's engorged intellect or because they've read the New York Times for their whole life that whatever they say makes me feel bad because I know whom I believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So I already know Christ. We are looking for a blessed hope, which I just spent enough time sharing with you that science is now saying, we have this idea. We're going to get visited and we're going to get information or whatever. But maybe in the end, they're going to have cookbooks. I don't know. <laughs> well, if we look at the end of the book, that seems to kind of match. But we are to be looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We read in here, you know, in Scripture, signs of the times, there's many of them. Let me mention two. One is the great falling away. That's a theme, as you know, that occupies my mind. Why is that? Because I talk to Christians, professing Christians. And not only here, ever since the outbreak of the pandemic, I've asked around to a few friends of mine, how's the church attendance been? They said, well, you know, not like it used to be before. People stayed home. Some people stayed home. And they said, hey. We could watch Pastor Ray or other preachers on television, and it's convenient. But there's one thing you can't get from television. It's called fellowship. If you say amen when I'm doing my Wednesday night Bible study, which is a temporary thing, as you know, when I'm home in my chair, I can't hear you. So I'm not edified. And then when we get back to our fellowships here and our dinners, you know, you can't get that. Like, we'll do it by video. We'll have a meal by video. <laughs> there's certain things that we cannot do with television, but a lot of churches, their attendance has dropped. Due to habits being built up, since we didn't have to get there because we couldn't get there and all this, then it's just easy now to just put on the camera. Well, that's why our camera is here, and that's why we've been doing radio for 34 years. Come uh, this spring, it'll be 34 years on the air as we preach the gospel. But it was not intended to replace fellowship. It was not intended to replace the physical presence of your pastor and yourself sitting in seats and so on. This is the time to press in. And as you do these demonic powers, in addition to our own sinful hearts and our proclivities, our affinity to what we are attracted to that are not necessarily of God, it's going to be always ballast. It's always going to be pulling you back. But you keep this in mind. I gave it to you a week or two back. Remember that this book teaches, among so many other things, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the Bible is, again, replete with evidence that the ruler of this world presently is Satan. And you need to keep that in mind. You need to keep in mind that the one who's up against us is Satan himself. Ephesians 6. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now listen to this. And I know some of you fish and some of you are pretty good at fishing. Do you really care what bait you used to get that fish on your line? I mean, was it was really important to you that you had a spinner or a hula popper or a worm, does it really matter as long as at the end of the day you got the fish? You see, we have got to become more clever than we are. Some things we won't bite down on, and other things because it's shiny in the water, and before you know it, we're hooked. And the thing about being hooked, for us, sometimes you really don't know that you are hooked. You don't realize that you're down a whole new road. I want to just say something here, which I've said before. It's really good advice. Go very lightly on this conspiracy stuff. You think there's any man on the planet, or men, that could pull off the fact that everybody in the FDA, everybody in the FBI, everybody in social security office, everybody's in on a conspiracy, and we're the only ones that are not in on it? 
Yet I keep reading this in social media from people whose handles are Christian. I just dismiss it. I never answer them because they're not writing to me anyway. And I say to myself, this is bait. This is bait to bite on. What does it do? I saw one uh, young woman with Christian scripture on her handle, and she proposed that there's some of us, she says, that are afraid of anarchy, and some of us are afraid of a government that has top-down power, which they always do. And basically she was proposing that the first is better. I've learned something long ago. If someone asked, what would you rather have, devastating heart disease or metastatic cancer? My answer is neither. (laughs) I don't want a dictatorial government, and I'm not going to choose anarchy. So I don't know what the deal is. But it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And when you do that, you cannot go wrong. And the wisdom that you need as you go along will be given to you, both as individuals for decisions you have to make, then as a group, you know, as a church, we can make decisions looking onto Jesus because everything else, in my own opinion, you already know that I do a lot of research. I read a lot of books, a lot. But I always look for that little shiny spinner. I say, don't bite on that. Let go of that because you get hooked on that. You'll be taking down the wrong trail and I'll be thinking I'm right. I'll be preaching to you about why we need to whatever. And all the while, the scripture is saying, no, 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 no. That's not what this book says. That's not what this book says. You see, I think it's going to be harder to be a Christian nowadays, and I told you this, among the conservative right than it is among the lunatic left. I really do. I truly do. I'm not looking for the left to shoot me. I'm looking to be killed by friendly fire. People who just simply disagree with me when they don't have a scripture to stand on. See, I've spent my whole life in this book, and admittedly, it gets difficult. People say to me, well, we could have this and we could have that. And I have two words, but God. See, here you have an equation, right? The equal sign, two plus two. Well, what's on the other side has got to equal. It's either got to be one plus one plus one plus one, or just simply the number four or any number of combinations you could have, whatever. It's got to balance. And when you read science and we read astrology and cosmology, and you read conspiracies, and you read all these things, the equation is not balanced because we don't have God in the equation. This book says that God is, always has been, and always will be ruling the universe. He's not reading the New York Times. He's not reading USA Today. He's not reading any newspaper. He's not right now while we're preaching, watching the media say, wow, what's going on? We've got to do something about that. From the beginning, before we were here, Everything. I am Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning, I'm the end. And he explains to us in Old and New Testaments, and this is how it's going to go. And he's not waiting for us to say, we have a committee, God, and we've amended your Bible. We've changed it. It's not going to go this way. I just read this and researched it some more. General Michael Flynn, who many people on the right made a defense of, is now with this group that's traveling around the country of professing Christians advocating that the United States have one religion. One religion, seriously? What about the First Amendment? We may not agree, we don't, with so many other people's views of God and their religion, but it's guaranteed in the Constitution. I'm telling you, watch out for friendly fire. Watch out for the people that you read. It's even worse when they say, I'm a Christian. What do we do? Get a team of investigators to check out everybody? There's no time for that. It's not possible to do that. But if you keep your mind in the book and keep reading the book, Your chances of deception are greatly diminished. So much so that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 that deception at the end time will be so great that if it were possible, even the elect could be deceived. But we accent that it's not possible if your mind is here and you're not wasting time. 
You're not wasting the brain that God gave you and not giving your body over to things you shouldn't and on and on and on and on. And then I throw in these little foxes, these little distractions. Come here, come here, come here, come here. Somebody watches the broadcast and gives me advice. I'm not on here to get advice. (laughs) So I just delete the comments. I'm not on here to get advice. If I get advice, I ask for it. Anyway, these are distractions. Sometimes they take up my time, but I've learned how to say, just jettison them. Get them out, get them out, get them out, and keep your mind here, for thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed in thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord Jehovah, for in the Lord is everlasting strength. I don't have everlasting strength. I get up tired, irritable, whatever, but God does. As soon as I get back to God, the battery just starts to recharge. Matter of fact, the batteries that are in this microphone right now are rechargeables. If I use it every week for the next, well, only a couple of weeks or so, it's gone. There's no more sound. So I plug them back in every time I'm finished. And next time, voila, the battery's recharged. Because in the Lord is everlasting strength. Be anxious, I'll paraphrase it. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding shall keep, guard, your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. That's the answer. It takes discipline. It takes discipline. But this visit to a tiny planet is coming. Now, the evidence is pointing that it may come sooner than we think. Again, I don't like to get too close to specifics. You know, it's going to be this holiday and all that stuff. Uh, that's not me. That's not right. No, 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 no. But the season, he says, but the seasons, you know. Do you know what season this is here? I mean, in the natural Well, you say what the weather is going to be in the 50s this week, and it is, but it doesn't change the season. Because your understanding of December is that it's always bitter cold and snow in the ground. But today, it's not bitter cold, and there's no snow in the ground. But it's still the season. It's still winter. Well, it's almost winter. We don't know the precise day in a season, but we do know the season, and this is the season. What the day is, well, I don't know. But I know it's time to get ready. I know it's time to trim our lamps. It's time to jettison, as I just mentioned, those things that are distractions, eating up time of the 168 hours you have in a week, and it's eating up time, things that you could have known, now you can't know because the time is gone. You just missed the opportunity. Those opportunities don't always come back. Give me oil in my lamp and keep it burning. So we're ready. So when the cry comes at midnight, which obviously is dark, behold, the bridegroom cometh. We can go out with the other four. And while the other five who went out originally started well, They're saying, whoa, it's time. Give me oil from your lamp. They wasted the time they had. Wasted it. The 168 hours in a week, they just fritted it away with, listen, with genuine excuses. And so now they're coming to those that have oil. Lamps are burning so they can see the bridegroom. Give us of your oil, but I can't give you some of my oil because if I do, there won't be enough for myself. Go, quick, buy. But Jesus, in that parable... He says, it'll be too late to gain knowledge, to start the prayer life, to, you know, increase your church attendance and fellowship with other believers and so on. It's too late. It's too late. Time is the stuff that life is made of, Benjamin Franklin said. We must redeem the time for the days of evil, the Bible says. And that's really good advice. Well, it's coming from God, so we'd expect it to be good advice. Because we are looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior. And I'm going to say it again. Some of the greatest minds right now are anticipating contact with aliens. 
intelligence that comes from beyond our galaxy, from a realm that we are not aware of, from something we can't see, but they're there, they're pretty sure of it. I'm willing to concede two things. Number one, yeah, could be. The Bible talks about fallen angels and demons, but this one I'm definitely sure of as far as is there intelligent life out there? Mm -hmm. He's called God. Jehovah. All-knowing. All-powerful. And I say this again for your edification. He's not nervous about the coming election. He's not nervous about what's going on in this country, that country. As a matter of fact, if you take the time to study it, it's all right in here. Explain it to us, Pastor. I've been doing that for the last 35 years in this city. And you know what? Some subjects we've passed, we may never visit again. I can't visit. The time's running out. Can't do it. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your opportunities. You don't want to be over here out of oil. And what do people who are out of oil say? Somebody asked me the other day, they wanted me to straighten out the situation in the gym, which is not in my job description. And so the girl at the desk said to me, you have a good way with people, don't you? And I said, well, that depends on the people. <laughs> some really, really like me, and some really, really don't like me. Personality, I can understand that. Okay, but if you don't like me because I'm honest, that's not my problem, that's yours. And I can tell you this too. When you want to practice sin, there are preachers out there that don't care enough to straighten you out. I'm not one of them. Do I care about me? If I wanted to make my life easy, first of all, I'd quit the ministry. Or I'd just be one of them really cool guys. Really cool. I can be really cool. I'm telling you, I can. <laughs> really cool, really smooth. Get you in, get you out. Leave your money. Whatever you want, I'll cook it up for you. Because it's all about you. But you don't have a pastor like that. I torture with these long sermons and these illustrations. When will he ever shut up? <laughs> it's similar to Jack Nicholson's character and Tom Cruise's character in A Few Good Men. You know, where Cruise is saying that he wants the truth and Nicholson's character says, you can't handle the truth. And you know what? There's some wisdom in that. Some people really can't handle the truth. The truth is that this world as we know it will come to an end and science is backing that up for us. The truth is that the world is going to have actually a bright future for those who trust in the creator for all things, and look in Colossians and other places, all things were created by him, by Jesus Christ. And there's a bright future for that. But that's the truth. Here's another truth. For there is no other mediator between God and men but the man Christ Jesus. That's the truth. So it depends on how much truth do you want. It also depends on whether you're able to handle the truth. As for me, I was very blessed because when I signed on to Christ, I had nothing to lose. And he was kind to me, is kind to me, and merciful to me, and has blessed my life beyond anything I've ever even prayed for. Well, there's always somebody out there who will look at someone like myself and say, oh, but you had all the good breaks in life. I had a lot of breaks in life. I broke my toe when I ran over with a lawnmower. I broke my nose and my pinkies when I fell down the flight of stairs last year. I've had a lot of bad breaks emotionally. I've had a lot of bad breaks in a lot, a lot of ways. It has not been an easy road. But the one thing that keeps you or I going is the refusal to quit, is the refusal to give up on this book, is the refusal to compromise it because someone on the right says, hey, you know, this is what's going to go on. I say, it's not going to go on, or it may not go on. You don't know that. But one thing that we are assured of is that this word is true. Yeah. Father, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Me, I'm looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. How about you? Amen. What are you looking for? What do you want? I know what I want. It's not going to be taken from me. Give me Jesus. Amen. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. 
And when I die, just give me Jesus. Because we're looking for that blessed hope. And God's visit to a small planet and take us home. And I'll tell you, what a day that's going to be. I believe we will look the same. I really do. Minus a lot of details that sin has imposed upon us, but I really do. So we'll be able to see each other, recognize each other. And when I think that it's not that far away, it really isn't. If you think about time, it's not that far away. I say, praise God for this blessed hope that we have. There's not anything like this going on in the whole world today except wherever there's churches just like this. Or the church of Jesus Christ. Everybody else doing speculation and whatever to worry about things and how to make more money. And the secret of peace is contentment. Me, I have enough. How about you? Are you really, really, really looking for that blessed hope? Let me say this to you as we pray. And it was came up earlier in the prayer. Why is doctrine important? Because doctrine dictates what you believe. And what you believe dictates how you behave. So my question to you as we pray is this. We said we're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you say, I believe that. And I'll tell you how I'm going to know it. And others are going to know it because your behavior is going to Reflect what you actually believe. I'm sorry. I got to tell you one last story. I'm a minister. I don't know if you knew that, but I'm a minister. And I wear a shirt and tie, okay? So you put this on, and it's sort of like, you know, I told you this parsonic voice. I could lower my voice, maybe half an octave, and say, amen. You know, you have to sound like a preacher, whatever that means. I've never done that, but I'm saying. And you could play the part, play the role. Well, and I've met these people. And right away, I see right through them. I say, this is, come on. But when I go home, and particularly when I'm alone, and I'm dressed in my sweatpants and my t-shirt and all that, what I really believe is reflected in my behavior. When I'm in the dark and no one can see me, that's what I really am. Me, I don't want a disparity between what I say I believe and watching me observing my own behavior and saying, they don't match. So I'll give you this story. It was a friend of mine who grew up in the streets. For me, I had a reputation in the streets, you don't mess with this guy. And that was pretty widespread, and so nobody did. Uh, not too many people did that are living. And this, this friend of mine was not an imposing guy, but he got a job as a correction officer, as most of my neighborhood did, oddly enough. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. And I went in there when I was in prison ministry. And when you know, we came in to preach the gospel, I was already born again, radical change in my life. And here's this guy. I knew he lived only a few blocks from me. And he started mocking me when I was coming in the door. And I'll tell you why he was able to do that. A, he was in charge of that portion of the prison, and he had a uniform on. I knew many police officers did the same thing. Just average people to put the uniform on. They become a different person. And so he started mocking me. Here comes the reverend. Here comes the minister. And right away, I looked at him, and in my head, I was thinking something, but I couldn't say it because I am a minister. What made this man change? It was the uniform and the authority bestowed upon him because he never would say that outside that prison to me. And what I'm saying to you is the opposite. If you're going to be a Christian, be a Christian. And the uniform that we wear is the one that God gave us. Put on the whole armor of God. Let's go to prayer. Father, today we come before you, and I say this in a manner of speaking. We are being found out what we actually are. Now, we like to associate with Christians and be around Christians and be around people with Bibles. But judgment begins at the house of God. We just ask you today, Father, I ask you today to help us to not only endure the test, but to come up and pass it. Like Job, after you test and try us, that we come forth as gold, because we will not quit, and we're not going to stop. We're not going to balk at your process. This is how you take all your saints. This is what you do, and test them. Help us to be faithful to the end, and to continue to look for the blessed hope. 
While we do our duty as citizens, while we do what we can to promote righteousness in the land and so on, we're still looking far beyond that to the blessed hope and the appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. If science can look into the universe and say, oh, you know what, we're going to be visited by alien creatures who may have created us, partly right. We will be visited from beyond this universe, but not by aliens, but by the owner of the universe and the creator of the universe and the one that created everyone and everything on it. And we will give an account. Oh God, you will come as we read in the scriptures. For those who look for your appearance, it will be a great blessing. For those who've denied you all their lives, turned from you and spit on your name, it will not be so good. I pray, God, through this broadcast, in the radio, the live streaming, here in the sanctuary, there will be a great work of evangelism, many souls to be saved, saved, and convert us, and convert people. Let me see these things. For you said, Lord, Father, you said, I'm so glad that you have hid these things from the educated and the wise and prudent, and you revealed them unto the common people, the babes. I don't know if there's anybody in here, maybe watching, I don't know, but there's nobody in here that has a degree and a tenured position at Harvard or Yale or Princeton or Cambridge or Oxford. We're just common people. We're just ordinary people with an extraordinary God. And your spirit, God, restore unto us the joy of our salvation and renew a right spirit in me. Today, Father, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. And we look for our blessed hope and that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior. Let's give the Lord a hand clap offering this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We bless your name. So, Father, we bless you today. We give you thanks. We give you praise. Remind us this week to love you, not with some of the heart, all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, all of the strength, and then also to love one another. We pray all these things today, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Amen.